Hello everyone, just a quick announcement. I'll be doing three panels at Anime Revolution, August 4th through August 6th, 2017, in Vancouver, BC. The panels will be Blatant Copyright Infringement in Anime, Quebec Anime Bizarro Wonderland, and Amazing Anime Deaths. The days and times of those panels have not been finalized yet, uh, so just keep your eye on the schedule if you're going to the con. Uh, I think there's a strong possibility that a couple of them might be fairly early in the morning, so make sure you keep your schedule flexible if you are coming. I hope to see you there, and let's get on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to Zonan Canada. I'm your host, Jesse Betteridge. So today on the show, uh, I'll be talking to Jose Argumento. Uh, Jose uh, has uh, been a long-time part of the you know, Toonami anime on TV fandom in the United States, um, and he is technically still involved with the One Piece podcast, and has been for a long time. He hasn't appeared on it in quite a while, uh, and the reason is because he actually works for CNN now, uh, making him one of the, uh, the very few fanboys of anime on tv who has successfully made that jump into working in television and congratulations on that to you jose and thanks for coming on the show thank you um also uh currently working on some stuff for discotech I'd... wait should i oh, plug yes. stuff i'm sorry oh go for it yeah i i, I have uh, no problem with plugging discotech on this show okay good <laughs> oh that's that's good to hear um yeah well, you, i'm you currently working on, on loop on yeah loop yeah Still working on Lupin Part 2 and Part 4, and Part 4, as of this recording, airs tonight. It comes back after being off for a week for the Attack on Titan Marathon, so really excited for you guys to check out Episode 3. It's a good one. Um, I have not seen the entire dub yet. I have it. It's yeah. I have it on me, but I haven't watched yeah. it yet. Well, we, we so can't, I'm, we can't, we don't get it in Canada, but I guess it'll be on the Funimation now because they are... It will be on Funimation yeah. now. They seem yeah. to have the streaming rights. Yeah, they will be, they are, they are doing a, uh, I guess they are calling them simul dubs now. They are doing uh, Lupin the Third Part Four as a simul dub. So even though we don't get that broadcast in Canada, we can watch it on Funimation's website, and I assume that it's going to line up with the Toonami broadcast after after a couple weeks once that gets going. Um, and you also did the, you worked on the IGPX release as well for for Discotech. Yes. I know you were you were on that for quite a while. I was a, I was one of the producers on that, and. Um... Yeah, that was uh, that was a labor of love, and no other company other than Discotech would be crazy enough to let me do something like that. And I'm kind of glad I did it when I did it, because like trying to do that project today would have been impossible. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's very worked out with the timing. But yeah, we went back and we remastered it and put it out on DVD and uh, had a really fun time working on it. But you know, it was a long, I learned a lot because I didn't know crap about home video. I thought I was hot shit and I didn't know crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, if uh, any listeners aren't aware, m- many of these discotheque projects are indeed uh, pro- like side projects and labor of love, labors of love for the, the people who work on them. So it is, it's awesome that you were able to put uh, so much work into that particular release and I think a lot of people, you know, at least in my audience, haven't seen IGPX because it never, it never aired or streamed up here. But uh, yeah, that's a pretty solid release that uh, that Jose worked on for for Discotech on that one. Yep. Um, so the thing that uh, is cool about Discotech mm-hmm. is that basically we all we all work on, we're all contractors. There are no employees at Discotech other than the people who own it. Mm-hmm. Um, all the people who work on that stuff, to my knowledge, we're all contractors. We all kind of just do it for. Well, we do it for money, but we also do it mostly because we love it. Uh, believe me, if I was living off of what Discotech paid me, I'd be dead by now. So, um, and I think that I'm, I'm not going to say that goes for everybody, but for me, it's more of just like, yeah, I really want to work on this and I'm going to try to find the time to. <laughs> it's been harder and harder lately, so I've been working on less and less projects. But... I mean, with your, with your current job, you're not going to, it's, it's pretty difficult, but it's uh, amazing that you're still able to find as much time as you do. Yeah, um, I'm I'm hoping to wrap up some of that stuff soon because they've been they've been waiting on me for some of it. Um, so hopefully that'll be done very soon. Uh, Lupin, I think I think on part two all of my stuff is done, so they're not waiting on me. Part four, I still have to finish my my interview with uh, Richard and Ellen, which I think came out really nice. 
Um, I just have to finish editing it. And, um, yeah, that'll be out soon. Yeah. Loop on, loop on the third part four is fantastic. Big, uh, I mean, check it out and get, grab, don't, don't hesitate to grab that release when it comes out. I'm sure it'll be, uh, well worth your time. Uh, yeah, the, the Toonami broadcast bought us a little time, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I'm really happy about that. Cause we, I think we were gonna, we, I think we were gonna release it like way sooner. Um, don't quote me on this. I'm not entirely sure what happened, but uh, we, we were involved in getting it on Toonami. Um, I sent an email, I, I made introductions, and that was kind of the end of my involvement, but uh, that led to uh, to the show getting on Toonami, and because of that, it bought us a little time uh, on the Blu-ray, which is great, because yeah. we could really use that time. And, and, I, and I understand that like the Adult Swim broadcast license and the Discotech home video license are kind of separate affairs entirely. Adult Swim did not license this series from Discotech, both companies work directly with TMS, which is why the version, like the dub version that airs on TV has different music and uh, a few different things than what we're going to see on the home video release, at least as far as the... Uh, uh, I'm not going to comment too much on the dub because it's yeah. still up in the air. Um, but yes, we, we do not have the broadcast rights um, to, to loop on the third. But Discotech was involved because I, I was the one who sent all the emails yeah. out. Um, we were involved in, in getting... TMS to talk to Adult Swim. We made those introductions and made that happen. Um, we're, we're, and we're happy to be a part of the process. Um, there are some decisions that they made that um, oh, I gotta I gotta tread carefully here. There are some decisions they made for their reasons um, that might not be what you see on the home video release. Again, it's still up on the air, so I, I other than that, I can't really comment too much. But um, I hope. Uh, that we we answer we try to be as transparent as possible at Discotech. I hope that we can answer all that we can, but it, it's really just we're we're still up in the air. We're still working on it. Maybe next you can try and get TMS in contact with some Canadian broadcasters and get Loop on <laughs> Loop on the Third Part Four up here airing up here somewhere. I don't but, I don't know if Discotech has uh has any any Canadian releases, so I I hesitate to speak for them they, on that they, front. They're the same in in uh, Canada and the U.S. Uh, those, okay, those so we have the same distributor. That they they don't really have proper distribution here. Like they don't have an actual company that does proper distribution here. You can order them through like Amazon, but you have to pay an extra importation fee. So they're really marked up. They Discotech did have like a deal with HMV when they were still running, and they carried their releases in stores at a reasonable price. But HMV shut down earlier this year. Oh, uh, that's a bummer. Yeah, and it was like HMV was really getting good when it came to stocking anime home video releases. They were actually m- more reliable than Amazon.ca in a lot of cases, and and had better pricing and better selection. Doesn't uh, Bright stuff ship to you guys in Canada? They do. Uh, that's that's a, that's kind of a whole other issue. They do have the they they have eliminated a lot of the problems with with paying uh, having to pay customs fees, uh, which happened a lot back about a decade or so ago. They cover that on their end now, so you can actually ship to Canada without having to worry about that. But the shipping uh, costs are kind, yeah, kind sure. of annoying. It's basically you have to pay, you have to buy $250 US worth of product um, in order to get free shipping. And, you know, the shipping can be a little a little out of hand uh, when you're when you're below that. I think it's like minimum fifteen dollars or something. So no matter yeah. what, you have to put in a fairly big order to make it to make it worthwhile. Um, and also their, I, I their website right don't stuff because they're a small company like us. Yeah. at discotech. So, like, I understand why you need to up your prices sometimes. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, I, I wish they could at least have like uh, tiered shipping rates or discounts on shipping via by a certain uh, qu- quantity of product, or th- at least have um, Canadian dollar conversion on their website as well, because two hundred and fifty dollars uh, U.S. adds up quite a bit uh, when you're buying yeah. from Canada. Um, but yeah, home video rights attached, uh, so it would be it would be kind of the same situation. But you know, I I doubt that <laughs> there'd be a lot of success getting anyone to pick up uh, uh, any broadcasters to pick up anime right now in Canada. That's a shame. Yeah. But today's episode is mainly going to be focusing on streaming, um, which means that this is another episode that, you know, is probably going to be really relevant and timely uh, if you're listening to it close to when it came out. It's probably not going to age well, because I think most of the stuff we talk about is probably going to be dramatically different within, like, six to eight months. That's consistently been the case in every episode that we've done, uh, talking about about streaming issues. Um, 
So maybe some of the stuff we speculate on will will come to pass. Maybe it won't. It's hard to say. Uh, if you're listening to this episode in like tw- late 2019 or anything, uh, you might not get much out of it. Like you might want to just go listen to the PJ Phil episode again or something. But um, you know, who's to say? Uh, maybe our maybe our maybe our speculation and predictions will be entertaining in the future. <laughs> I I hope we're we're totally right and we're never wrong. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure that won't happen. I don't think we've ever correctly predicted anything on this show, but uh, that's, that's okay. <laughs> um, so at the at the time we recorded this, we're about uh, two weeks two, about two weeks ago. Uh, yet another streaming platform for anime launched called High Dive. Um, right. It's not really new. Uh, it's you know they're it's basically a rebranded version of Sentai's anime network service, but they're claiming that they have no actual connection to it, just like they claim they have no connection to Made in Japan or any of those other... Or Anime Network. Or Anime Network, for that matter, yeah. They're not, like, no actual connection to Section 23. They're just good friends. Um, But, you know, it's just, it's a rebranding. It's meant to be more attractive and competitive with the likes of Crunchyroll and Funimation and Netflix and Amazon Prime and Tubi TV and Viewster and and Hulu and Anime Lab and even Shudder, which has, like, stuff like Belladonna of Sadness on it. And then, of course, you look at all the non Oh, Turner Classic Movies had it, like, a couple weeks ago. I didn't know it was on already. Yeah, yeah, they did. Uh, Shutter, Sh- Shutter has that one streaming, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, and then there's all the non-anime services you can subscribe to, like Mubi and Filmstock and HBO Go and CBS All Access and Acorn TV. I gotta correct and... you, Filmstruck. Filmstruck. I, I okay, Film Filmstruck. I, I thought I said Filmstruck. That's what I had written. You down. said Filmstock. <laughs> oh, okay. I meant to say Filmstruck. I had Filmstruck written down. I didn't say. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's a Turner property, so I gotta make sure that one's correct. <laughs> okay, no problem. Um, and of course, you have Crave TV in Canada. And y- you know, if I didn't know any better, Jose, I'd say this is you know balancing all these services is a kind of a lot like like subscribing to cable in a few ways, wouldn't you say? In a, in, I mean, if you start adding up all these services, you start getting to the point where you might as well get a cable subscription because you will get as much content. Um. That's the that's the thing that's kind of adding up with all these services because like look I, I I I currently subscribe to a couple of these services myself I, I recently got rid of um, UVerse which is not quite cable but it's we'll call it cable for these purposes purposes um, so I got rid of cable I I now have um, Directv now I have um, Netflix and I have Funimation currently um, I'll probably once the subscription is up, I'll probably kick it to the curb and get uh, Verve, which is um, Crunchyroll's little bundling service, which I, I constantly make fun of Adam Sheehan for. <laughs> uh, every time I see him, I'm like, "Hey, that's cable." Yeah, we we don't have we don't have Verve, Verve is one thing we don't have in Canada for some reason. Um, I'm sure it'll come. Yeah, um, yeah, because it's not just Crunchyroll; it's like Funimation, it's it's Rooster Teeth, it's a whole bunch of services for 9.99 month. Um, for like eight channels. And I also subscribe to Amazon Prime, uh, which is 99 bucks a year. So that's a lot of stuff I'm subscribing to. And it works out to about what maybe a basic or mid level tier of Uverse or Direct TV would be. Um, so I'm, I'm not really saving all that much money. The cool thing about it is I, I have it all on my Apple TV, which is the really convenient thing. But yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, services out there, and it's it's nice that we have all these options, but we still have to pay for that content. And the thing that I think that people really got upset about High Dive for, or people are really upset about Anime Strike, is um, they have exclusive content, which has never really. Which has always been a thing, I mean to say. Which, you know, HBO, for example, has always had exclusive content that's behind a bit of a tier. Or in its own standalone service. Where you can only watch something like Game of Thrones on HBO. Um, so you can only watch Legends of... Uh, what is it called? Guardians of the... Legend of Legends? the Galactic Heroes. Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Man, I just need to turn in my anime card. <laughs> <laughs> you can only currently watch that on High Dive. Um, to my knowledge. Uh, so that's another service you have to sign up for. I remember when, you know, Young Justice, uh, a show that a lot of people were like, yes, it's saved, 
boo, it's on another streaming service that I have to subscribe to that DC is launching this Yeah, a new, a new DC-exclusive streaming service. And, of course, we don't even know like what countries it's going to be available in either. Right. Yeah. That's that's the other problem, but, um, you know, that's, that's the world we're kind of looking at. We're finally getting that a la carte world, but to make it enticing and competitive, we are just really spreading out content so that you have to subscribe to so many services isn't this what everyone wanted though just total freedom to watch whatever they want whenever they want uh yeah you think that but it's it's the thing i've noticed is that people keep complaining every time there's an exclusive thing what people actually want is something like a netflix or a hulu where everything is there but even netflix and hulu and amazon prime or whatever don't have everything. That's just never going to be a reality. I think that's that's always kind of the the um, initial that's grab. The pie in the sky. Yeah, yeah. that's the, the pie in the sky. That's kind of what you go like when these services launch. That w- that's what you're expecting it to evolve into. And I've noticed that you know, people in the United States, at least you know people who I follow, uh, like the, the, this dream is only kind of starting to shatter now. People are finally starting to understand the the drawbacks to streaming. Uh, I think. The rest of the world uh, was ca- kind of caught on to these these limitations a long time ago, but in the U.S. you've you've had kind of a balanced ecosystem for a little while that was able to give that illusion. But now when you right. have stuff like Amazon Prime launching all these sub channels and uh, the the anime market becoming more fragmented, and again like companies like Turner launching a whole bunch of different services such as the DC one like you're well that, that that's Warner Brothers oh, Warner um, oh, that's, Warner that's sure, our okay. friends at Warner Brothers yeah yeah um, we we launched boomerang and filmstruck and we will have uh, I, I know that we're gonna have a couple more um, I want to say this year but I'm not sure so don't quote me on that I know that we have more coming mm-hmm. because streaming is kind of the wild west right now time Warner um, we have a lot of different streaming services um, we have good old-fashioned HBO Now. We have uh, Drama Fever, which is something that Warner Brothers acquired. Um, we have uh, the DC service coming. We have Warner Archive Collection. We have Filmstruck. We have uh, Boomerang, which recently launched. Like We have a whole lot of things, and we're going to have a lot more uh, services to try to cater to specific niche audiences, I guess, which is great. Because then we're serve we we could possibly be serving audiences that otherwise would not be served on the platform of television, but at the same time it's well all this adds up for the consumer. And it's how much do you want that content? Do you think that this is like sort of the direction that things are going for better or worse? Do do you think it really is better for for targeting niche audiences? Do you think? the companies who are launching all these services are going to follow through with that mentality because targeting niche audiences is something that uh, at least American uh, entertainment companies are notoriously horrible at. Yeah, obviously the the big money is in the broad content. Um, And I think, you know, whether it's Disney or uh, us over at Time Warner or our friends at Comcast or whatever, like they are always going to put the most resources to the, to the content that is going to be able to reach the most people. But if there's a passionate fan base um, that is willing to spend money and we can easily cater to that audience for a low cost, we can play in that field as well. Um, you know, I think Warner brothers drama fever is the perfect example of that because I believe it's, it's K dramas, um, you know, and it's, it seems to do very well because there's a passionate fan base for that. I, I hadn't heard that they acquired Drama Fever. That's uh, that's interesting. Yep. I think that was back uh, in 2016, 2015. Okay. Too. So it was recent. What would you say if we're looking at sort of the economics behind streaming and like the streaming environment that we're seem to be moving towards, and the cable environment that we're we seem to be moving away from, and people really wanted to move away from that has more of a um you know, a bundling mentality behind it. Could you pinpoint like any one fundamental difference between the two ways of doing things? Or is it, you know, way more complicated than that? I think the, and I'm going to be quoting uh, Rich Greenfield 
because he had a great point on Reliable Sources' podcast last week, which is one of our CNN podcasts. And so I'm, I'm getting this from him, but he made such a great point about it. There is going to be this want for a bundle. People are really going to want to bundle stuff together, but not necessarily content. So if you look at what Amazon Prime is doing, 99 bucks a year, that comes with Prime shipping. It comes with Prime video. It comes with Prime music. It comes with Prime, you know, reading. It comes with Audible channels. You get a free book every month to borrow. Um, you get Prime photos. You get Prime early access. You get Twitch Prime. You get all this stuff uh, for the privilege of paying Amazon $99 a year. And they apparently want to add more service. And, you know, Prime is a loss leader, but they want to add a lot more services to that. I think that's going to be the kind of mentality we're going to start seeing with the bundle. Crunch- our friends at Crunchyroll are doing something similar with Verve where they know that people uh, want to see this content or don't want to pay so many things for, like, Funimation and Crunchyroll, and they just want them together because they're the two big ones anyways, and uh, Rooster Teeth and and College Humor and all those. Uh, What if we can just cater to that crowd and just build something that's a little more customized for them? So I think that uh, we're going to see that kind of stuff, but I think the the big goal is to do – is to add stuff – like your like your Amazon Primes or your cable companies where they'll throw in the internet um or you you have to get the internet but you uh you get so many channels for this amount or you get um you know AT&T service for example like if you get DirecTV we're going to take off a little bit off your bill if you get DirecTV now and you're an AT&T unlimited wireless customer you you only have to pay $10 um, for it, that's I think going to be the enticement. I think the the bundle. It's not just bundling of content. The big pie in the sky goal is to bundle services with content. I, so Amazon Prime has it right. I think AT and T is going to be going the and is pretty much is going in that direction with Uverse uh, or Directv, where if you get your internet, you get a discount. And you get those channels at a discount. Or if you're an AT&T wireless customer with an unlimited plan, for $10, you get DirecTV Now, which is like 60 channels. I, and free HBO. You, you mentioned that people are going to be demanding or are going to there's going to be a growing demand for bundling um, just because services are going to become so unmanageable. But I find there's usually a large gulf between the type of bundling that audiences and, and consumers want and the ones and the type of bundling that uh, distribution companies and production companies are willing to provide most of the time. I, I, I don't know if it's going to be easy to reconcile because it seems that in the U.S. right now we're seeing like what we're, see, what we're seeing happening very quickly is all these different companies are experimenting with different forms of bundling to try and make it more, I guess, economical in some sense or try to build a – would you say build more a more uh, a more sustainable model for for streaming moving forward? Um, I, I find it interesting that all this is happening in the states right now uh, because one thing I've always sort of emphasized and or one idea I've always kind of argued is that streaming in general is something that only that seems to be formulated to work in the United States uh, and things that are inherent to streaming like. Um, population distribution or the viability of of ad, of running ads on services or um how many how many people in a, a region you need to subscribe to something for it to to be sustainable these are all these decisions always seem to be made with the united states in mind first um i i don't know about you but i i still kind of get the feeling that you know the, the future formatting of, of streaming will be done for the trends in the united states there are not going to be a lot of considerations taken for other markets. Um, I don't know. Do you, what, what do you think about? Well, I, I understand. I understand why you, why why you think that because it's true. We do focus on the United States first. Um, after all, all these companies that I just mentioned are are headquartered here, um, and their infra, their their biggest infrastructure and their biggest audience is here. So yes, you're right. We are going to concentrate here first. There's there's no denying that. Um, but once we start getting those services and infrastructure built in other areas, 
And of course, there's always this, there's always a ton of regulations that you have to learn depending on what country you're in. And there are just some countries that it'll be a better idea to lend your content over to somebody who's already there and can act as a distributor for your content. Um, and those deals are worth a lot of money. So yeah, there's a lot of, you're right. You're going to see a lot more experimentation in the United States because, you know, Warner Brothers owns that content. You know, Turner owns that content. Um, and has the infrastructure and the resources to make sure that content is available, uh, throughout the country. Doing it on a, on a worldwide scale, it's a pretty, it's a pretty big ask. Um, and, with the exception of like Amazon, I guess nobody's really, you know, built ready for that. Um, well, okay, I, I take that back a little bit because like we are like Time Warner and Disney and NBC Universal, they're international companies, but um, not in the sense of you know streaming. Uh, they they usually just they have certain countries where they distribute certain rights, um, and that'll be. That's going to be some of the, 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 I guess the challenge of, of scaling up to international scale. But I think that a lot of these companies are, are ready and willing to, to meet that challenge. Um, because we have to. I think that, um, eventually, you know, look, uh, the one thing I want to say about cord cutting real fast, and, mm-hmm. and I'll get to my point. Cord cutting is a, it, it finally has started to become like noticeable. Because everyone's like, oh, cord cutting's coming, cord cutting coming. We didn't really see any losses in any sectors from Comcast or DirecTV or anywhere until like late 2015, early 2016, where we finally started seeing those drops to like a palpable degree. The thing about cord cutting um, is that if you only pay attention to headlines, it seemed it, it always seemed like a larger phenomenon than it actually was. Uh, when you, when you look at when you yeah. actually look at like the breakdown in numbers. It is in reality something that is happening very, very slowly. It's happening. Yeah, it's very it, slow. even even with it's younger. Quite, o- now it's finally happening to a degree. I was going to say even with younger audiences. Yeah, the headlines were always there. <laughs> even with Go younger ahead. audiences. It's happening much lower than a lot of people seem to think it is. Yeah, the thing about cord cutting is like it makes for a great headline, but it, when you look at the numbers, you know, crunch. Uh, not crunch rule. Crunchyroll, okay, we'll use Crunchyroll as an example because I happen to know sure. that number off the top of my head. Crunchyroll just passed um, a million subscribers, but Adult Swim is in like 96 million homes in the United States. So who actually has the bigger base to work from? Who has the bigger reach, um, if you will? Now, obviously, Adult Swim is alongside all these other networks um, that you pay your cable bill with, but they are in your home. You are paying for them. Um and Crunchyroll, you have to make a conscientious decision to pay for that service. And they've only reached about a million homes. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, you know, and, and look, cord cutting is finally happening. Like we are at the point where we're starting to see th- the numbers go down a little bit, but it's not like, oh, we went down from 96 million to 70 million. If that happened, we'd all be panicking. It's more like, oh, we lost like 200,000, 300,000 here, you know, per quarter or whatever. Like, it's not, it's not like by the millions. We're not losing people by the millions. And, and all these companies like Disney and and whoever, they recognize that Disney especially, because ESPN, you know, their, their revenue, uh, is like 75% affiliate fees from your cable bill. Which, and only 25% from advertising, they're keenly aware of this. So, and we're aware of this and everyone's aware of this. So we are in, in a good position to get you those services directly, those, that content directly. Um, or we, we act with, or we just start paring down the bundles because I think the thing is also there's a lot of channels out there. There's a lot of stuff that you're not really paying, you're paying for, but you don't really want. Um, people say that, oh, I only watch one or two networks. It's, it's closer to actually 12 to 15 in, in Mm. our research numbers. Um, we, it's, it's closer to 12 to 15. Um, and getting it, it down as close as possible to that and keeping the prices low is, I, I think what 
what a lot of the companies are concentrating on doing, like DirecTV Now, for example. Um, it's like 35 bucks and 60 channels, which is, you know, or Sling TV, which is like, I think like 25 channels or something like that. I don't know the number off the top of my head, but it's like 20 bucks. So, like, they're trying to keep those prices low and just make those bundles really, really small so that you can, so that we can deliver to those customers that are like, you know what, this is way too much content. I'm not watching all of it. Let me, let me go to this. I I find it interesting that in the States, uh, cable companies have been delivering small bundles through, you know, through the desire to be competitive. Um, I, I, you probably haven't followed this too closely, but we have switched to kind of an a la carte model on Canadian TV. That's actually something, if you follow the show, uh, we used to talk about this a lot, how the, the build up to pick and pay and a la carte TV and how you can only, you can subscribe to only the channels you want. Um, it hasn't worked out the way that I think people imagined it, but, you know, we're in a position now where if you want to add one specific channel to your cable package, for three three dollars a month or something, you can do that, or you can, you know, drop drop certain services. Um, there's a lot of flexibility there that there didn't used to be, uh, but that had to come about through regulatory changes. Uh, a reason that we haven't talked about it on the show very much is that it hasn't really played out the way that I thought it would. Um, going back to that idea again, where I, you know, we rarely correctly predict things on this show, um, but it, it's starting to seem that the the industry or the the cable industry the prices keep going up. Um, for basic service, because uh, it's now possible to get like a low-end basic service. They don't, and the companies try not to promote that option, even though they're like mandated to to offer it. That doesn't include things like like sports or music channels that people don't want. It's just the absolute basic services, and then you can theoretically build any, add any uh, small package or individual channel on top of that that you want. Um, but it, it they're doing. Right. It, it seems that rather than using that as a way to broaden the number of people subscribing to television they are kind of doing the opposite and raising their prices on everything else and just doing everything they can to milk the subset of people that they know are never going to drop their cable subscriptions under any circumstances whatsoever um perhaps in the long term we're going to see uh the transition that i think a lot of people were expecting that providers would start consolidating their content into fewer channels uh that would be have a that ha, would have broader appeal and um, would be more desirable to you know people who don't currently have television in general uh, because chorus is apparently planning to shut down more than a third of their channels but it's going to be over the course of probably two or three years um, Rogers did finally shut down G4 Canada just this past week uh, which is something that uh, yeah, I saw before. yeah. Gee. well that's the thing is that when you have when you when you bundle those services they make they make money off of them. Um, regardless of what they're running, right. or even if nobody's watching it, so I, I'm sure that that whole scam plays out to a degree in the states as well. But it's really seen as a an exploitable scam up here in Canada. The companies, at least in the short term, are doing everything they can to double down on uh, on milking audiences rather than actually trying to expand the number of people who would want television. And I think that's unfortunate because. Personally, I don't believe that television is a broken medium. I think that the industry is just really damaged right now. I disagree with that. Well, yeah. okay, maybe in Canada, but definitely mm-hmm. not here in the United States. We're uh, this is kind of a golden age of television right now. There's a more stuff, be- more content being put out than I think ever before, um, and more people are watching than ever before. Um, there's just, I mean, you know, take my network for example, CNN. Uh, we're, we're having some of our highest, uh, ratings in the history of the network. Um, like we're, we're really blowing up. Um, you know, a lot of these networks that, you know, weren't doing so hot even a couple of years back are, are rising. So, and their content is, is getting into more people's hands and it's becoming far more accessible. So I, I disagree with, you know, the industry being broken. I think that there's actually a lot to, uh, there's a lot to see. Um, and there's a lot to get your hands on right now. And there's a lot of great content that's out there for everybody. Um, so, you know, I don't think the industry is broken. Maybe in Canada, the way they do things is, is different, but I can't, I can't speak to that. Um, but, uh, here in the United States, there's, there's more choice than ever before. Uh, and 
there is more content and there's more creators creating um, content that, you know, years ago we probably would have never seen. Yeah, I, I, you know, we're, we're kind of in a golden age of television, so I, I disagree with that well, notion. I mean, I mean, I guess the big problem in Canada is that you have, you have all the, all these companies that should be producing their own content and they're not producing it. They're just milking licensed U.S. content for all it's worth. And even all of the U.S. content doesn't make it up here. Like, look at Adult Swim Canada. They have the Adult Swim brand, but they basically don't license any of the content. Same, uh, the same goes for IFC and uh, a number of other companies as well. So a lot of people find that that frustrating, I guess. Um, and you, you see a lot of U.S. stuff that doesn't even stream up here either. It's uh, it's it's kind of weird how how many gaps there are. It is weird because I mean, look, it's easy for us to deal with here in the United States because we have our our content creators and our content companies create content with the U.S. regulations in mind. Um, you know, I think to create stuff with international regulations in mind is kind of it, – it'll drive you crazy unless you're working on a Transformers movie, uh, in which case you're making that movie for China. You're not really making it for the U.S. Um, so, yeah, that's – you know, to, to try to create content for every part of the world, you know, that's the idea. But you can't foresee – if you try to foresee every consequence that will happen because of your content, you're going to drive yourself crazy. Um you just kind of got to take it one step at a time and get through all the regulations or partner up um, and do the best you can. Um, but because of that, things are going to fall through the cracks. I mean, um, you know, I think there's a, what is that show? Uh, I think, was it Venture Brothers or, or, or Rick and Morty that just was not available in the UK for a while? Cause like it just, Adult Swim, uh, none of the Turner networks could broadcast. Could That's make Adult the situation Swim with Adult Swim in I mean, most countries outside of the United States, actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because they can't. Yeah, because they can't broadcast Adult Swim on Cartoon yeah, Network. Yeah, in the UK, that is the case. Yes, uh, they can in Canada, and they don't take advantage of that at all. And it's uh, so so frustrating. But uh, um, I. Yeah, we actually we actually had that in in Latin America while I was down there. Adult Swim was was on years ago. It was on Cartoon Network, and then they took it off immediately because it was against a lot of Latin American countries' regulations to have that content on Cartoon Network. Um, so they had to move it to another Turner network called ISAT, which is a Latin American channel, um, and I believe it's still on. Last I checked, it was still on. Um, I've been told by Adult Swim that it was canceled, but uh, I still see the schedule up there, so I don't know. Adult Swim has a so um, I don't know if it's I, Adult Swim has a weird co- reputation as well because their content doesn't translate very it, well it in a lot of places. They, Adult Swim overall, at just as a an organization, they don't seem to really make much of an effort to break into international audiences or in, international markets. I find it's it's a really low priority. Well, because it's difficult. It's it's a really difficult brand to market because it's a it's a brand that I think that has a very a very much an American sensibility that does not translate very well in a lot of countries. It, it doesn't translate well, but I mean even in Canada, theoretically, we have all this stuff available on the app that launched here recently, the Adult Swim app, but they they haven't updated it for Android seven. It's useless to me right now. I did I, I was subscribing to it long enough to finish Samurai. Uh, the new Samurai Jack season. Um, but in order to use it, I had to dig out this like ancient Android tablet I have that barely works. I just strongly get the feeling that they don't, they, they, they just not giving any priority to any, to any market outside of the, the United States. I mean, what, like they have an app in the United States, right? Uh, we, yeah, we do, but I don't, I'll be honest. I don't use it very much. Um, I use, I watch, I watch Adult Swim on, on direct TV now, which, doesn't have a DVR, unfortunately, <laughs> so I have to watch it live. Yeah, well, I I still think this is something I can be doing better with, and, and that's the problem is that you're getting hyper focus on a lot of these brands that just don't they they just don't care about making much of an effort in in markets outside of the United States, and that becomes worse with streaming because every major streaming platform is based in the United States, and you know you 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 see. They, they, you always hear talk of them uh, trying to produce local content for for other markets, but 
it always comes off as kind of uh as kind of cynical to me more than uh actually trying to 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 i guess you could say service these markets in an in an inadequate way i don't know how you feel about that i, I don't know about that i i um, i'm going to go ahead and defend my my colleagues at adult swim canada um you know, I'm sure they're doing the best that they can. Uh, we we just don't have unlimited resources. And as much as we would love to just spend all the money internationally, we can't. Um, that's not that's not how it works, and that's not reality, unfortunately. Um, but I know that Turner is going to be doing a lot more stuff internationally. I know Warner Brothers and, and HBO were all striving to make a lot of stuff work internationally. It's just a very difficult proposition, um, you know, because we ultimately we're never we're never going to prioritize something um, that makes a little bit of money over something that makes a lot of money. Does that make sense? Like, you know, Warner Brothers is never gonna is always going to prioritize their DC films over. Um, you know, everything, everything, which came out a few months back, which, you know, I think did fine, but it only cost like $12 million. And Wonder Woman cost something like $175 million. So obviously they're going to put a lot more of a push into Wonder Woman. Um, and that's just, that's just kind of the reality of, of what we have to deal with. Um, net, it's easier for companies like Netflix because Netflix, for example, streaming is their whole business. Like that is all they do. Um, companies like Disney, uh, for example, are much more than just that. They are a theme park. They are uh, a television. They are movies. They are uh, merchandise. They're all these things in one company. Um, and so they can only spare so many resources to one thing. Um, so I'm sure that they have their own streaming woes over in over at Disney. But 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 again this also goes back to the like the the centralization around american brands certain services have a harder time breaking into like asian countries and, and different regions but the the overall goal seems to be sort of a global i don't know i don't know if i want to say domination but a a global prominence for 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 the, for the majority of streaming services and that like that greatly enhances the the value and demand for American brands, uh, which, you know, in the case of Adult Swim, are not able to deliver upon that expectation. I think from Adult Swim, you're going to see more stuff like Rick and Morty that I think will... Rick and Morty seems to translate very well in a lot of different regions. So I think from Adult Swim, once we have more content like that and less stuff like Tim and Eric, which doesn't, um, you'll probably see much more of an effort internationally because i know that rick and morty is as far as i know uh been doing actually very well in a lot of different territories well we'll see about that <laughs> sorry I'm, I'm i'm pretty jaded when it comes to adult swim uh just making any kind of headway uh outside of the states but we'll see we'll see how that goes <laughs> i mean i i understand i totally understand but you know they're um uh it's it's a it's a brand that is really like it's such a hard brand to translate and if it doesn't translate very well it's so hard to dedicate resources to that brand internationally and you know what frankly like that brand doesn't have a lot of resources here in the United States to begin with um, William Street is a pretty small operation compared to all the other networks at Turner and in some ways they purposely do that. Um, they keep a lot of that stuff very low. They keep their budgets kind of very low so they can continue to kind of do whatever they want. Um, since they don't cost very much, they have that room to experiment and try different things, which is kind of why we love that brand so much. But once you start up in those budgets and really start putting in a lot of money, um, more eyes are, are on that William Street building. So, you know... Like CNN, it's really easy for us to scale up. Like we're in 200 countries or 220 countries with uh, CNN domestic and CNN international. Both of those networks are in, I believe, 220 countries. And we have a lot of eyes on us right now. And we, we have that budget to, to spend. 
but it's but we can't always do whatever the I, heck we want. I'm just curious wants, when you, you, when you know, say like that viewership we, is up at CNN, is that because people are because there's a greater demand for cable news, or is it just because of current U.S. politics? Um, well, the 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 ratings. Uh, I don't know about the ratings internationally. Mm-hmm. I can only speak for the United States in this case, but there is definitely a lot of people who are far more engaged mm-hmm. with politics um, right right now in this country. So um, it's not just us. MSNBC is also up. I believe Fox. Um, I want to say that they're up, but they're not number well, they, one they, right now. They were they were almost always well, they number might have one. Gone down. For, they were number one for many years. They were by almost a significant margin one. in the states. Um, yeah, and now currently yeah. they're number three, um, which is very odd. Um, they are they are trailing behind. So you know it's. There has never been such like at this current time, I, 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 or at least I can't remember. I can't remember a time where so many people were engaged with politics um, in this country than they are right now. So I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, and you know, CNN is a very trusted political source. So I'm going to stand up for my network. I know there's probably listeners who are like, I don't believe you. That's okay. You can disagree with that. Um, but our, our ratings are, are bearing out that people are, are interested in, in what what we have. Um, and, and to be fair, like before everyone's like, oh, it's because of the current president. Uh, that's I think that's somewhat true, but it's not totally true because we were trending upwards way back in 2014 um, before the um, current president mm-hmm. ever started to run. So we were we were trending upwards in the ratings for a long time. Um, I think. And, you know, I think overall everything has kind of exploded in terms of in terms of viewership because of um, the election and and the current president. Okay, I, I won't pin everything um, on 45. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not I'm not I'm not pitting everything on 45. I think that there's a lot more than just 45 going on because I, I look on Twitter and I see a lot of people engaged with things um, such as uh, the health care bill, uh, DePaul and. I hope I pronounced that right. I'm sure someone's going to yell at me for not pronouncing it right. And a lot of other um, issues that are important to them and that we're covering, uh, maybe not necessarily on television, but we're definitely covering on our website or covering internationally. Um, there's a lot of people engaged right now. Um, and our our audiences are, are quite young. They're younger than ever. So it's it's um, it's a very interesting time uh, in, in the news business. Um, and as for to, to go to internationally for a moment, CNN International, uh, which is not the same content as CNN Domestic, not necessarily. We do simulcast every once in a while, but there is a lot of stuff that is on CNN International, such as Amanpour, which interviews leaders from all over the world. Or um, I remember I stayed up late because I was just kind of entranced by the uh, the British Parliament elections uh, that were happening. Uh, it was kind of fun to watch, and on CNN International, they went through the whole night um, and just uh, went through all the districts where they were uh, voting for new uh, parliament members. And um, I believe that did very well for us, not only internationally, but also in the United States. There's one uh, There's one thing I wanted to ask you about in terms of streaming. Um, the ad-based streaming versus subscription based streaming going going back to high dive sure. i think it's important to point out that high dive does have an ad-based option you don't have to subscribe pay the actual subscription fee to access the content on there um what do you think is the viability of one approach over the other because you know before you know i, I can tell you from a canadian or non-american perspective um up until about a year ago uh the the big complaint about streaming was constantly uh the fact that hulu would like would not operate outside of the United States for the most part, except for a couple of select ter- territories where things didn't actually work out too well. Um, and th- is this because ad-based streaming is unsustainable uh, compared to to subscription-based streaming? Uh, what what are your thoughts on that? That's a that's a tough question. That's a good question though. Um, I think that I think that there's a lot of merit to both. I know that's a cop-out answer. But it's true. Um, there's a lot of merit to both of them. There's, um, I think it depends on how much you are willing to sit through commercials. Um, and look, not everything I think is, 
tuned or or can survive without some kind of form of advertisement. I think that um, you know advertising is very important. Pays for about half my salary, um, and you know it's just uh, it's it's such a tough thing. I don't know how uh, much people are willing to put up with advertisements um, in this day and age of ad blockers. Um, which I think is kind of scary, honestly, because like people use ad blockers, which I understand using ad blockers for really obtrusive ads where they're just like, they block you from reading whatever you're reading that I don't, I'm not behind. Um, and I don't think we do that on CNN.com, thankfully. Um, but, uh, the, um, the thing is we, we, we need them to survive and those businesses rely on ads to get the word out about their business um, so that they can survive. So there's a lot of merit to, to advertising in general. Um, but uh, whether or not people are willing to subscribe to get rid of ads, I don't know. Dep- I think it depends on the content. I think for something like YouTube, YouTube Red, for example, I, I haven't heard any subscription numbers for YouTube Red, but it doesn't seem to be doing that great. Um, and it's ninety nine. It's nine dollars a month, nine ninety nine, um, and you get rid of ads on YouTube, and you never hear from them again as long as you pay. And I know it's bundled with a couple of other services. There's that word again, bundled. You get Google Music and a couple of other things, but I don't see that many people really paying for it that much. I think people are just willing to sit through ads on on content like. For example, Mr. Casey Neistat or or Philip DeFranco or wh- whoever on YouTube. Um, but stuff like you know, I'm a, I'm an Apple Music subscriber, so music I hate Spotify. I can't stand Spotify um, because I I hate having to listen to it at work because it's like I have to sit through an ad and I refuse to subscribe to. It because I already have Apple Music. I'm happy with Apple Music. It usually gives me what I want. So when it comes to that kind of content, I'm willing to pay to get rid of ads. And when I do, to get rid of it for Apple Music, I think it kind of depends on the content. Like if HBO, for example, started showing ads, I think everyone would be rightfully upset. Yeah, but it, it's starting. To, it, it often feels that the ad-based streaming is just is not really a sustainable direction i'm not sure if you're aware of this but in canada with Crunchyroll, um they've actually had to limit access to their they, they got rid of well, ads, no right? they or no they didn't get rid of they ads, limit they access. access like right. there's a 13 week window that you can access content in the library and then if you don't have a subscription then you can't access it anymore we still it's you know this has been a year and a half since they implemented that. We, they still haven't provided an explanation as to why that's happening. Uh, and I really hope that that changes or gets resolved at some point soon. Um, it's, it's, uh, it might depend I, I on advertising rates. I think that is the country. issue. I think ad, this comes down to advertising, which is weird because when you watch uh, Crunchyroll without a subscription on, a, on an app, or, or at least on a video game console or something, all the ads you see are for Crunchyroll shows anyway. They might not be selling ads okay, in that area. Yeah. That could also be a reason. Yeah. Like, so maybe it could be a combination of things. I'm not trying to tell Crunchyroll what to do, but it could be a combination of things where they don't have the advertiser outreach in that region, um, and they don't have um, the advertising rates are not quite as high as they are here in the United States. So that could be a reason where it's just like, all right, we just we have to depend far more on subscribers because building out an adverti- uh, an ad sales department for Canada is too much uh, time and resources for us to do right now because, you know, Crunchyroll, and they're the biggest in the anime industry, yes, but they're still kind of small uh, compared to, you know, Time Warner. And Time Warner has its own troubles with certain brands. Um, So, yeah, it's there's a lot of factors. Um, And, look, every company is going to do ultimately what is best for itself, they have a fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders after all. But I think that, you know, I think that this is the painful transition period where we just figure out what works and what doesn't. I'm excited about that. I think that's super cool because in such a paradigm shift of the way we watch content, we're living through it. We can say to our, you know, future kids or whatever, like, 
I, there used to be this service. I would, there used to be this box called the DVR, <laughs> you know, and now we don't, now we have cloud DVR depending on what service you subscribe to. And we just have one box or it just comes on your phone or one thing that does everything. I think that's, I think that's really exciting. Um, but you know, we're in that period where we just have to figure it out first. Uh, and that's going to be a bit of a growing pain. It's it's just strange because if right now we have to deal with the I mean if you can't, if you can't <laughs> run a service properly in in some regions because the ad market is not going to sustain it like the 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 message that communicates to me is that that service is unsustainable because it's not going to work everywhere. Well, no, it, what they might be trying to do is just entice you into subscribing. Again, it depends on the region. I'm not, I can't speak for every single region, um, but. I think that in, in the case of Canada, I think that Crunchyroll has probably determined that if we do this, we can probably entice way more people to subscribe to content and be able to to get them onto the service and get them hooked. And once we got them hooked, they're just going to let it roll. Um, and, you know, for a lot of places, that the best thing a service can do, the best thing for a service is that you forget you have it. Like, I'm sure if some of you go into your... Uh, you know, credit card bills and start looking, you might be like, oh, I'm still subscribed to that. I, I had that a couple of months ago. Where I was like, oh, I'm still subscribed to that. Crap. Yeah, I'm where I'm, okay. I'm pretty sure actually uh, Carl and I were discussing about the anime network uh, or the old anime network service. And I'm pretty sure anybody who subscribed to the anime network probably did so because that they forgot that they were subscribed to it. <laughs> yeah, I actually was subscribed to um, I was subscribed to what was it? Uh I think it was the Anime Network on on Uverse, and I like never watched it. I did watch the Funimation channel. I was really upset when they became Toku because, no no offense to Toku, they don't have all the who, anime. Who I owns watched, Toku so. anyway? Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, I it's not well. Actually, I think I might know who it's. I think it's Olympus. I think it's Olympus Systems, um, which is a which is a broadcaster down in West Palm Beach, Florida. Um, cause it wasn't, Funimation never owned that channel. Uh, they licensed their shows and their name oh, okay. to, to Olympus. I well, believe that, that, prob- that probably explains uh, it right and, there. And Toku, I guess, is something they made up and they seem to have a deal in place with Media Blasters, which, you know, good for them. Um, but they're running the same ads as far as I can tell. Um, they're running the exact same ads. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, I, I, I did subscribe to that and I was happy with that. Um, and Toku, I'm, I sound like I'm crapping on Toku. Toku had some cool stuff. I just, not enough to keep me. Sorry, Toku, if you're listening. The network itself is yeah. listening. Not anybody who works there, just the network. I don't want to hurt the network's feelings. <laughs> I guess one thing I want to, I, I was curious to ask you about, which is kind of off topic. Uh, how do you feel about uh, One Piece's um, demise on, on recent demise on Adult Swim? Actually, I talked about this on the One Piece podcast, but I guess my personal feelings yes. is that what you're asking. Uh, I'm sad mm-hmm. about it, but I get it. I understand why why it uh, ended up leaving. I mean, there were shows that were after it that were doing better. Um, so, and look, Adult Swim. Patience of Saints over there, man. They they really, really loved the crap out of that show. And they tried really, really hard to keep it on. And they gave it a really good run and a really good send-off. So, um, but at a certain point, uh, just being a fan of the show, you cannot will something into success. You know, at a certain point, you got to say, this isn't working. And, you know, I felt bad because Adult Swim... One Piece was competing with Funimation Crunch, uh, and Crunchyroll's One Piece. So, you know, at a certain point, you can't win. Um, Naruto seems to be doing fine. Yeah, Naruto's, Naruto's always doing fine. <laughs> yeah, good for Naruto. Um, they're doing, they're doing fine over there. So, yeah, One Piece doesn't have that, that pull, unfortunately, on Adult Swim. But, um, hell of a run, man. Hell of a run. Um, and never say never, it could come back. But, um, I'm going to I'm going to put that in the doubtful pile pile for now. But I I'm personally sad about it. I I love that show. 
Um, I liked it being on. But it's not like I can't just watch it. I am a little... Okay, the thing that really bums me out, I'm in One Piece. I even have a line in One Piece. You we do, never yeah. Got to, we never got to that episode. That's the, <laughs> that's the thing I'm upset about. Yeah, that you that's a legitimate gripe right there, I think. Uh so yeah, I just wanted to be I wanted to hear my voice on Toonami. That's what I'm upset about. But whatever. I am officially a part of two shows that have been on Toonami now. So three if you count IGPX, which I don't. Great. Well, uh Jose, thanks. I think this whole discussion is pretty illuminating. So uh yeah, thanks for coming on and sharing your thoughts today. Thank you for having me. I, I love to talk about this stuff. If you guys ever want to talk about 4K, I'm looking for some kind of avenue for that. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Zonan Canada. You can reach me on Twitter at Zonan Canada or email zonancanada at gmail.com. The theme song is by Ultra Kleistron and can be found along with his other stuff at ultraclaistron.com. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play Music, or your podcast app of choice. And if you can, leave a rating or review. It does help me a lot. If you know anyone who might like this show, please recommend it to them. See you again!